Our scripture today is from Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. Good morning. It's nice to see all of you. Tanner's bringing me a guitar, I guess. No, not for me. Okay. Wasn't sure what that was all about. Um, My name's Brant. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Christ City Church. And uh, let me extend my greeting to you. I'll add it to Sarah's earlier welcome here. Uh, For those of you that are new, um, we do this every week. Uh, We consider it a privilege and a blessing that we get to come together as God's children to worship him, to adore him, to rejoice in his grace towards us. Uh, so we welcome you into that this morning. And um, as we jump in now to our time of uh, the word, I would ask that you'd pray with me so we can ask this God um, for help. Father, would you, would you help us? Father, would you work powerfully through your spirit? And that we've received through Jesus uh, in our midst that you would by your spirit, convict us of what is true. Bring life to our hearts where there's none. Lord, I pray that you would uh, conform us to Jesus. Lord, help us to, to come to know, uh, as Tanner's already prayed, uh, the freedom of, of walking and living in Christ. Uh, would you do that this morning? Would you help us to see from your word uh, and learn from it and grow from it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've just finished uh, here at Christ City Church um, a four plus one part series called We Are Christ City. And today marks a new transition point. So we're moving from We Are Christ City and now into the book of Proverbs. And what that means is that it's my privilege this morning for, for me to introduce to you the book of Proverbs. We're going to, you know, have both the, the body of the message and we're going to uh, talk about some particularities of the book. But as we begin, I'd like to just give you a bit of an overview of what Proverbs is all about. You know, what is going on in this book? Uh, so I hope you've had your coffee already this morning because we're going to jump right into it. We're just going to get going right away. So what is the book of Proverbs? What is it? Well, the book of Proverbs is a, a little book uh, right in the middle of your Bibles. People often claim that the book of Psalms is in the middle of your Bibles, but if you open your Bibles, you realize the book of Psalms isn't quite in the middle. The book of Proverbs is pretty well right in the middle of your Bibles. And it's this little book full of practical instruction, full of aphorisms and wise sayings. But don't just think because it's a little book and because it's old, that it doesn't have anything to say to us today. Because when we open up the book of Proverbs, what we find is that Its instruction for us is incredibly relevant today. It applies 
almost word for word uh, with our lives today. It could be like Solomon was just with us this morning, speaking into our lives presently. That's why we've called this series Ancient Wisdom for Modern Living. It's ancient wisdom, but it is for modern living. It does apply deeply to us today. But to get a sense of the feeling of just how ancient this book is, it was mostly written or collected by the ancient Hebrew king Solomon around a thousand years before Christ Jesus. And then some portions of the book are, in fact, younger and it's original. Or the form that we have today was probably uh, edited and kind of held together around the, the Persian era in the 4th century B.C. So to put that in different words, have any of you guys ever heard of the ancient Persian king Xerxes? Have you read a book about Xerxes or maybe watched a movie that featured King Xerxes? Well, King Xerxes existed on the time that some of that newer portion of Proverbs was rearranged and added uh, to an already ancient book. So in other words, again, Xerxes thought that Proverbs was a really, really, really old book. It's an old book. It's an old book. But, you know, not just saying one thing about it, old book of wisdom, but uh, we should also ask who wrote it? Who did, uh, who brought this book to us? Who wrote it? Well, the book itself begins with these words, confessing its authorship. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then again, 10 chapters later, after Solomon takes 10 chapters to to introduce the subject of wisdom to us, as we get into his Proverbs uh, in particular, in verse 1 of chapter 10, we read again, the Proverbs of Solomon. So who was Solomon? Well, King Solomon was an incredibly wise king and the son of the most famous Israelite king named David. And through Solomon's wise leadership, Israel actually reached the pinnacle of its prosperity and blessing under his rule, under his reign. And actually what happened was that uh, through his wise leadership, Israel traded goods and knowledge and wisdom and all these things with the surrounding nations really coming to its pinnacle. And King Solomon either wrote or collected the vast majority of the book of Proverbs as we have it today. So you'll notice if you read through Proverbs that there's a couple different collections in it. You know, it's mostly, you know, there's a good chunk written by Solomon, but then he also collected other things. Some from a man named Augur, which I think would be great if you named your children Augur. It's a, you know, a good name for you this morning. Uh, another guy by the, king of, the name of King Lemuel. Maybe a little bit more uh, pronounceable and fitting for our culture. I don't know. Um, but there's a, you know, written by Solomon or collections by Solomon. And now I do realize that you and I might not think that a king's duties would naturally include writing poetry and collecting proverbs and collecting wisdom, right? That's not something that, I don't know about you, but that's not what I think a king's duties typically ought to include. You know, we do think that maybe a ruler should write a presidential biography, right? That seems to be like the, the thing that we do these days, but not necessarily collect wisdom. Well, ancient kings actually were in the habit of collecting wisdom. Wisdom, it turns out, was widely praised for its usefulness, in ruling nations, although not anymore, apparently. Because of this, it was common in this ancient period for kings to collect wisdom. So around the time of Solomon, actually these ancient Egyptian kings would also collect wisdom. There are a number of different collections of ancient wisdom that even the surrounding nations had. So you got, you know, wisdom is kind of, in the Bible, is coming to, coming to us in a similar genre to the wisdom that was collected around them. 
And then it was into this setting then of, of ancient kings that would collect these wisdoms and these, these sayings that Solomon penned the book of Proverbs, that he wrote his own wisdom. But he claimed that his Proverbs were unique. And this is important for us this morning. Because Solomon said, hey, you know, I'm not just writing as a man, a finite human being trying to figure it out on my own on what's wise in this world. I'm writing as the king of Israel, the covenant nation under the revelation of Yahweh, the God of the universe who created all things. And my wisdom is going to be founded in that revelation. My wisdom is going to be uniquely grounded in the covenant God of Israel and his word to us, the Bible. So he has a uniqueness to the Proverbs because of its location in that revelation from God to Israel. And can I just say this? On a personal note, I love the Proverbs. I didn't always love the Proverbs. As, as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate them more. But now I read them, and I'm, I'm gripped by them. I love to just, you know, walk through them and be, and be gripped by these incredible sayings. They're, they're pithy. They're poetic. They're meant to be chewed on and kind of digested slowly. It's not like reading a novel. There's so much in there, and there's so much truth for us through them. And actually, on that note, I'd encourage you guys, as we jump into the book of Proverbs this summer, to take some time then and read through the whole book. Commit maybe to reading it through this summer along with us, to learn from it, to take time to digest it, and to, to think about it as we get into it. So that's all just a, a little bit of a word of, of Proverbs, what it is, and who wrote it, when it was written. But now let's just jump then into our ancient book of wisdom together. And I want to say to you right away that these first two messages are going to be introductory. This first message today, we're going to focus on the rest of the time on basically the what. What is wisdom? That's the topic of our message today. And then next week, we're going to look at the how. And how do I become wise? And we'll dwell particularly on what it means to fear the Lord in that next message. But they're going to function almost as like the, the left speaker and the right speaker and surround sound of kind of an introduction for you this morning. Um, but we'll, ju- we'll jump in right now into this topic of wisdom. And it's a big topic. It's vast. I was struggling this week trying to figure out how am I going to put wisdom into a sermon? This is not a small topic. So as we jump in, I'll, I'll try to help you with a bit of a structure to triangulate, if you will, what wisdom is and how come it's important for us today. So I have three points for you. We're going to look at wisdom and reality, number one. Wisdom and wholeness, point number two. And then wisdom and flourishing will be our last point. So wisdom and reality, wisdom and wholeness, and wisdom and flourishing. So wisdom and reality. As we get going, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think of as being wise? It's not typically the kind of thing that we ask ourselves these days, but I want to ask it to you. Who do you think of as being wise? And I confess, maybe I've seen too many Kung Fu movies or something, but like I think of the guy, uh, I default to, you know, the, the wise uh, guru at the top of the mountain, right? He's, he's mastered the deep questions of reality. He's also mastered Kung Fu, so watch out, you know? Um, that's, that comes to my mind is like this trope of the wise person in our society. But who do you think of? Who do you think of as wise? The successful, maybe? Maybe the Jeff Bezos is, or the Elon Musks, or the influential, maybe? Michelle Obama, Angela Merkel, maybe Pierre Trudeau? 
Not so much. <laughs> the teachers or the inventors, maybe? What about the Oprah Winfrey? Or Marie Curie? The moral and the caring, maybe? Mother Teresa, Florence Nightingale? What about the well-traveled? What about Anthony Bourdain? He's seen a lot of the world. He might know a thing or two. What about Paul Thoreau? You know, if we were to pull this room asking who stands out to us as wise, I think we get a really wide spectrum of answers, wouldn't we? And I think one of the reasons we get a, wise, a wide spectrum of answers is because we all have different perceptions of what it looks like to live your life well. But that little bit, living life well, is important. And that's also why you should pay attention this summer to our series on Proverbs and not zone out. Because the Proverbs and being wise have to do at rock bottom with what it looks like to live life well. What does it look like to live life well? But this is where the instructions for living well that you'll hear on the street and the Bible's definition for living well that come from wisdom, this is where they depart from one another. Today, we tend to try to bend reality to our lives in order to live well. We're at the center, and we think reality should be shaped to me. Where, on the other hand, the biblically wise person does the opposite. They seek to discern reality around them through the revelation of God's word and have their lives bent to it. Along these lines, one commentator wrote of wisdom. He said, wisdom is concerned with the correct ordering of life. Wise action that is that which integrates people harmoniously into the order God has created. That's J.A. Loader. Proverbs teaches this. I want to show you this. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon actually, he depicts wisdom as a woman. It's poetic, it's not literal, but he depicts her as a woman brought forth by God at the very beginning prior to anything else was made. And she, because of that, uniquely became witness to the very structures of creation. And the implication, according to Solomon, is that, is that wisdom knows the structures of God's universe. Wisdom gets it. Wisdom knows how things are. She understands the meaning and the purpose that God has encoded into every atom of the created universe. And so to be wise will be to draw near to her, to learn from her about that reality. Look at Proverbs 8, verse 21 to 31, where Solomon personifies wisdom. And in that personification, wisdom speaks to us. This is wisdom talking to you and I. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginnings of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So here's what Solomon's saying. Wisdom knows reality. She was there at the beginning. 
To be wise is to come close to wisdom, to know intimately ourselves how to walk according to the grain of reality as God has created it. So let me just try to illustrate this for you this way. Some of you may know that I was a carpenter before I became a pastor. I was a carpenter before I became a pastor. There, if you didn't know it, now you know. And, uh, and as a carpenter, the bane of your life is that you get a lot of splinters. You get a lot of slivers. Ryan can attest to this. And, uh, and you realize that, that you get a lot of splinters because you work with wood. It kind of makes sense. And it's not all bad. Splinters do some good things for you. I mean, they increase your pain tolerance. That's good. They toughen up your hands. At one point, my hands uh, were much tougher than my wife's. But now that my wife is a nurse uh, and I'm a, a pastor, my hands, I think, are softer than hers. Um, you know, we can debate that a little later if you'd like. But the thing is, you get so many splinters that you get used to them, right? You get these, like, little, you know, daily grind splinters. They're small. You've got to use a, micro- a magnifying glass to even see them to kind of pick them out. Then you get the more annoying ones that go underneath your fingernails a little bit. Not too bad, but just a little bit. And you pull out your, your knife and you have to kind of carve those out. And then uh, occasionally you'll get the really big ones and you'll have to go to the hospital. But it's all in the course of a day's work. It's fine. These are splinters. All normal. But why splinters? Why do we get them? Well, because wood is really hard and fibrous and it grows in a particular direction. That's the why of splinters. And when you handle lumber all day, you don't always handle it in the direction that it's grown in. You often pick it up against the direction of that lumber. So why do I bring this up? Well, because what Solomon is saying about wisdom and her existence prior to the creation of the world is that she knows the grain of reality. She knows which which direction reality runs. In fact, God used her as his instrument when he constructed reality. Rock upon rock, stone upon stone, precept upon precept. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. To be wise, then, is to draw close to wisdom, the one who knows reality intimately, and to learn from her. So there's a definition that we'll use throughout this series about what wisdom is. I want to show it to you now with all this in mind. Wisdom is this. To be wise is to live rightly in God's created world, according to the Bible. On the other hand, folly, the counterpoint to wisdom, is living in opposition to God's reality. It's ignoring his revelation and his truth and how he instructs us about his reality. It's wearing yourself out, trying to go up the down escalator of reality. That's folly. That's folly. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, or maybe if you're just new to Christianity, I think you probably notice how countercultural what I'm saying is. Does this sound a little countercultural? You see, the, the Bible doesn't paint a picture of wisdom in this world that's eucentric. As in, whatever you might desire or think or choose what is best will lead to your flourishing as a person and as a society. No, the Bible paints a picture of reality that's profoundly God-centric. It centers around Him. And it warns that if you try to bend reality to fit you, you'll be broken. 
But if, on the other hand, you try to, to bend yourself to his reality, there's blessing in it. You'll flourish. Here's the thing. While that might sound offensive, I think that whether you realize it or not, you actually, to greater or lesser extent, agree with God. I think you agree with God because when you look at the world, all of us recognize that there are ways of living that work and there are ways of living that don't. Is that true? For example, I think that if you've lived long enough, you recognize that, that many of the Bible's claims are self-evident in the created world, like this. That living selfishly in your relationships, it doesn't lead to blessed relationships. But living generously in your relationships actually does. Your relationships flourish. Or that living for the pleasure of the moment, it's not good for you all the time. If I live merely for my pleasure, it's going to lead me to, on a path towards disaster. But if I grow in self-control, it will be good for me. It will lead to, to some flourishing, to some fulfillment in my life. Or I think that you recognize that a society built on love and care for those who are vulnerable is actually superior to a society that, that does the opposite. Superior to a society that oppresses the weak and crushes them for the expedience of the powerful. I think you realize that if I give in to my laziness and live laziness my whole life, it's not going to get me where I want to go. So here's the thing. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, I have a question for you. If you see that there is a right way and a wrong way to live in the areas I've mentioned, then is it possible that what God has said elsewhere in Scripture might be for your benefit as well? That's my question for you this morning. Something for you to ponder if you're not yet a Christian or you're just new to this. To get back to our point, though, biblical wisdom is living rightly in God's world. Okay, great, we could say. But does simply knowing the right way that, that reality runs, is that wisdom? Is this knowledge wisdom? Well, no, it's not. And we're going to turn now to our second point, wisdom and wholeness. No, wisdom, wisdom isn't just knowledge, obviously. Otherwise, the average high school graduate will be wiser than Solomon or Socrates or me because I was homeschooled. I didn't go to high school, right? So, so you know, it's not hard to be wiser than I am anyway. That's, that's fine. Um, no, but if wisdom has to do with, with living rightly in God's world, then wisdom must include all of you, right? Not just your thinking. It must include your thinking and your doing and even your loving. Your thinking and your doing and your loving together in line with what God has created. You can claim to be wise all day long, and some of us do. Or we like to do that. But really, what Jesus said is true. Wisdom will be justified by her deeds. It's how you live that's going to show whether you're wise or not. Just look at the formal introduction to the book of Proverbs to see this. Remember, this is a book about wisdom, but in these first verses that Stephen read earlier, Solomon fleshes out the idea of wisdom beyond simply right knowledge in verses 1 to 6. He says this, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, that the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. So there are words in this instruction, or this introduction to a book that's all about wisdom that have to do with thinking. Right? You see, you see those there. You, you see the words instruction, 
understand, learning, discretion. But there are words of action, too, in this introduction that are introducing wisdom to us. Notice especially verse 3, where Solomon writes, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, what's interesting about those words righteousness, justice, and equity is that they all have to do with living rightly. This is important, guys. Listen up. It's, it has to do with living rightly towards one another. Living rightly on the social plane of your lives. They all have to do with the most, or one of the most central commands in all of Scripture. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you open up the book of Proverbs, you'll see these words sprinkled throughout, showing that, that wisdom has to do constantly with what is right and how to relate rightly in love for your neighbor and what toward one another uh, all over the place. In fact, to be wise is to be willing to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage those around you. The wisdom of the Bible is profoundly counterintuitive. As we come into relationship with God who is love, and we live rightly in his universe, we're shaped by his love and sacrifice ourselves for our neighbors. Wisdom, it turns out, has to do not just with thinking right things, but with feeding the poor when you're able with stopping gossip in its tracks, with using even your social media account. The Proverbs talks about your social media account. We're going to get into that in a few weeks. Using your social media account to, to bless others with your words. The Proverbs speak of wisdom as being this thing that causes you to use your resources, not just to promote yourself, but to actually serve one another, to serve your community and your neighbors. But have you actually tried all those things? Have you tried to do that? Have you tried to live that way? Have you tried for more than an hour? Have you tried for a week? The more you try to live selfishly and selflessly in righteousness and love for others, you find that it's hard. You find that even though you might think that it's right to do a certain thing, when it comes down to it, you don't want to. When it comes down to it, you don't want to. And this is why wisdom must be holistic, affecting our thinking and our acting, but fundamentally our hearts. One of the leading scholars on Proverbs, Bruce Waltke, he even wrote this. He said, a person could memorize the book of Proverbs and still lack wisdom if it did not affect his heart, which informs behavior. So what Proverbs teaches us then is that above thinking and even above action, the heart features prominently in the book of Proverbs as the fountain from which a wise life flows and flourishes. Look at chapter 4, verse 23 to see this. Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Solomon understands that, that as your heart wills and wants and desires, so goes your life, either in wisdom and flourishing or in foolishness and destruction. The Bible teaches that unless your heart desires rightly according to God's reality, then its desires will actually be bad for you. It's contrary to Disney. Following your heart is not always going to work out for you. It's not always going to work out for you. It might lead you against the grain of God's created reality. It might make you a fool and not wise. 
all that I'm inclined towards, all that I think, all that I desire, it's not always trustworthy. Just look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Desires can be deeply destructive when they aren't oriented to God's reality. For example, isn't it true that, I think you guys know this, isn't it true that, that if a married person here were to pursue the desire of their heart when that attraction comes, when that intrigue or that chemistry happens with the, the co-worker, that if they're to pursue that, that it would lead to damage in their family? Damage for their children, for their wife, and untold emotional damage for them long-term? Or isn't it true that a lazy person, perhaps following their desire for leisure and just leaning into that leisure, man, all I want to do is just hang out on my couch, that, that leaning into that won't actually lead to a flourishing life? Or isn't it true that, that your desire maybe to, to live selfishly in the moment won't actually cause you to fulfill this, this call to live selflessly for my neighbor? If I pursue what's easier where my heart goes, it's going to lead not to flourishing, but to destruction. And if we're to be wise, we must live, chapter 4, verse 23, we must keep our hearts with all vigilance, for from them flow the springs of life. I think we all know this at some level. Is that true? We all see that there's, there's, a, uh, there's something going on in our desiring that's not good. We must bring it in line according to the fabric of God's reality and bring it in line with him. So we say all of that, but positively though, can you begin to see how beautiful wisdom when it comes into a community might be? How beautiful would it look like if each of us here grows deeply in skill and insight and wisdom to learn to operate our lives rightly in our thinking, in our doing, and in our loving, and expressing that outward towards one another in our community? Like, how awesome would that be? What effect would it have? What well, would look like chapter 4 verse 18? But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Full day. It would look like Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10, which says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Isn't that beautiful? When a community becomes wise, righteousness increases. They go together. Love for neighbors increases. They go together. And the people around them are blessed by it. But maybe you're still wondering why this matters for you. It matters because wisdom is the only true path of flourishing as a human being. You can't flourish any other way. Look with me now at our last point, wisdom and flourishing. All right, so in, in the book of 1 Kings, we read about King Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs. And when Solomon received the throne, what happened was that, is that he had this interaction with God where he was given an opportunity to ask from God anything. Look at chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Kings. And God says to Solomon, ask what I shall give to you. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. What would you guys ask for if God appeared to you and said, hey, what, what do you want? What should I give you? Ask and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? I think we'd all ask for the thing that we think would lead us to a better life in that moment, wouldn't we? We'd ask for the thing that might, that might meet our need in the moment and, and lead us somewhere better than we, where we are. You know what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. 
That's pretty counterculture. Would anybody around us ask for wisdom today? Would we even ask for wisdom today? We don't usually trade in that kind of language, that kind of thinking. But why did Solomon ask for wisdom? Because Solomon knew that the greatest thing that he could ask for would be to be wise. It would be to be skillful in his right living in God's created world. It would be to orient his heart and his actions and his thinking around God's reality. And that that would be the recipe for flourishing in his life. He knew that he needed wisdom more than anything else. And we do too. Wisdom is the path to flourishing. And folly is the path to perishing. The Bible's teaching about wisdom, like the Bible's teaching about life and light and righteousness and salvation, anything else, it's very binary. It's this or that. There's only two options. You can be wise or you can be a fool. You can live life with the grain of God's universe or you can live life against it. And in the Proverbs, wisdom calls to us. She speaks to us today, Christ City. She beckons us. She says, come here, eat, drink, be nourished, be well fed. I have something to say to you that will bless you. Just look at Proverbs 8, uh, chapter 1 to verse 5. Chapter, sorry, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 6 to 11. And hear what wisdom says to you and I. Let this be a, a call of wisdom to you this morning. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance to the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Take my instruction instead of silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare to her. These are lofty ideas of wisdom, aren't they? These are, these are big. I've tried to paint a big picture of wisdom for you this morning. And as we conclude, I, I just want to consider this with you. When we look at this big picture of wisdom, is it even possible? Is it possible for you and I to walk in line with this wisdom? with my thinking, with my actions, and with my loving. Can I, can I live this way and have it affect me so deeply that, that I learn skillfully how to be righteous towards my neighbor and care for them in every situation that might come up? It's a high, high calling. And on the one hand, the answer is actually no. It's not attainable for you. On our own, we can't attain this. On our own, we can't receive the flourishing of wisdom. But instead, we're actually inevitably heading towards the destruction that comes with foolishness. But on the other hand, there is incredible hope for fools like us in the Bible. This is the good news of the gospel. There is great hope for fools like us because God has taken the initiative to bring us the wisdom that we can't ourselves attain. God has done what we cannot do. Because in the gospel, God revealed wisdom incarnate through Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see God himself as a man, rightly living in his universe, in his thinking, and his doing, 
and his loving. Look at Colossians 2 verse 3. We see this. It says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, how is that? How do we see wisdom in Jesus? We see wisdom in Jesus because Jesus perfectly lived the right way in his father's world. Jesus fulfilled wisdom in his thought and his deed and his action, his loving, expending his life in service for his neighbors so that you and I could be saved. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he, that Jesus, laid down his life for us. We could add, by this we know wisdom. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus lived perfect wisdom. And here's the good news. His wisdom can even make you and I wise. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's able to transform our thinking and our doing and our loving. As we come to believe and to trust and to know and to experience that, that his love is for me. That his forgiveness is for me. This wisdom was expressed so that I could be saved. And it changes us. It changes us from, from being foolish to being wise. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Jesus became to us, you and I here at Christ City Church, wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is God's answer to man's foolishness. You hear that this morning? Jesus is God's answer to man's foolishness. So one last thing as we wrap this up, I've got a question for you. How wise are you? How wise are you? Is, is your life being molded to God's reality? In your thinking, in your acting, and in your loving? Or is it being molded and shaped by something else? You know, as we delve into the topic of wisdom, I'd actually encourage you to take a personal wisdom inventory as we go along. Something that's wise for you to do. Stop and reflect on your life and God's word. Where is your life out of step with God's revealed purposes and plans and wisdom? Where have you drifted from Jesus? Where are you orienting your life not around his love and his revelation of the truth of God's forgiveness and love and grace? And where are you orienting it somewhere else? Where has your heart grown cold to Jesus? Versus being warmed and, and fanned to flame by his love and his forgiveness for you. This week, I think you should take time to, to repent of your sin and then to cling to Christ again. To remember that, that, man, God has loved me in such a way through Jesus that I can be changed by his love to become wise. Take some time to repent. Take some time to rejoice in his grace and his truthfulness, his forgiveness for us, and ask him to make you truly wise. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, in our natural state as fools. But through Jesus Christ, we come to you as those who have been brought into the love of God and the wisdom of God. And Lord, we just ask you that you would glorify Christ in our midst. Lord, that we would, we would look to him and we would see the way that he has lived perfectly, that we'd be changed by it, that we'd be filled with his love, and we'd be empowered by your Holy Spirit to, to live out his love and his wisdom to those around us as we willingly expend ourselves for our own neighbors as he expended his life for us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.